Welcome to the latest podcast from the London Institute of Banking and Finance, lifelong partners for financial education. Learn more about our qualifications at www.libf.ac.uk. So good morning to you all. Um, my name is Stephen Santendowns. I'm the founder and managing director of Finding X. Uh, we're a professional services business that helps organizations embrace new technologies. Um, I'm joined today by uh, Ilya, who I'll just ask to introduce himself, um, and then we'll just talk through how we're going to approach the discussion this morning. Hi, everyone. Yeah, my name is Ilya Fej. Uh, I'm from a company called Faculty, uh, based over in Marlebone, um, and I look after our machine learning uh, research and development, so kind of the spectrum from writing papers on AI to making sure our uh, clients get the kind of best that AI can offer. Thank you. Great. So the way we're going to structure uh, the discussion this morning is um, I'm going to talk for a little uh, little while on the business side of the AI problem. We're going to talk specifically about AI explainability as a particular topic, and I'll contextualize that for you all um, shortly. Um, And then I'm going to hand over to Ilya, who's going to talk through uh, machine learning and AI and a slightly broader topic of AI safety, more from an engineering uh, perspective. And then we're going to open up the floor to uh, Q&A and hopefully we'll have lots of uh, time for questions towards the end. Uh, So I hope that all makes sense. So before we jump into this topic, because it is literally, and and actually it's one of those topics that um, the more you lift the lid on it, the more you look inside it, just the bigger it gets. And the implications for it um, for businesses, for society at large are potentially enormous. And so what we've got to do today, I think, is try and provide some sort of containment um, onto onto the context, because otherwise, literally, our conversation could could roam um, vast and wild uh, to some very interesting places, but perhaps not uh, to areas that are specifically more relevant to the industry that we all we all know and love. So, I actually want to do that by taking a, a real step back. Um, and for the for those in the in, with their geek heads on in the room, I'm going to take a step back all the way back to the words of, of Isaac Asimov, um, who. Um, I, I, just as a show of hands, actually, how many of you, would you be familiar with Isaac Asimov and his three laws of robot? Is that something that you would all be familiar with? Can I just have a show of hands? Okay, right. So I am going to I'm going to read through those three laws, and then there's going to be a quick quiz at the end of it. So just please uh, make sure you're paying attention. So number one. A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Okay? A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. A robot must obey the orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. A robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And number three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Now, that was written about specifically more about robots than about AI. Um, but uh, just a quick poll. Uh, who'd like to guess how when that was written? Give me a decade. 50s? Not bad. Close. 60s? Earlier. 1942. 
that was written by Isaac Asimov, um, which I imagine you'll agree with me is pretty prescient, um, given you know what's what's happening today. Now, people have written. Uh, subsequent sets of rules, we might touch on them a little later. Satya Nadalia wrote, uh, wrote a set of five guidelines about four or five years ago, which I think are actually quite good as well. But the point is this. Um, this problem's been coming on us for an awful long time. And, you know, it only required someone like um, Isaac Asimov in the 1940s to be able to extrapolate forward and imagine where we were going to get to. There, there is a couple of important things about this that are relevant to this conversation today, and, and they are as follows. Number one, um, the context, the implications for this on society are enormous. And so what I want to suggest today is what we're not going to talk about. And there's a couple of areas that specifically we're not going to talk about. And the first one is we're not going to talk about ethics and morality. So there are huge implications, and I was having a chat with a couple of gents about, you know, the implications of AI on, you know, military and military decision-making, and that's a whole topic of its own. Similarly, medical, it raises a lot of moral and ethical questions. And we're going to steer clear of the bulk of those discussions um, today. The second thing we're going to steer clear of is the impact on the workforce, and there's a lot of debate and a lot of discussion, quite rightly, in all of our industries about, you know, what is machine learning and AI going to do to our workforces? Are we going to put people out of jobs? Will the, that, that be replaced by an equal number of, you know, kind of data science type um, type work? It's a, it's a very valid debate. Um, it's not one that we're going to cover here specifically uh, today. I hope that makes sense. So just try and put a ring, some rings around the discussion. What we are going to talk about then specifically is this idea of um, AI explainability. And what I want to do is just set a little bit of business context for that. Um, as we can see in this, and you may have heard me emphasize the word when I called out the second rule there, um, a, a robot must obey the orders given to it by a human being, except where such orders conflict with the first law. So <clears throat> inherent with that is really the idea that um, the machine's you know, are, and software is something that works for us. It's something which is following our instructions. And I think there's a lot of fear and concern, legitimate fear and concern, that as um, AI and machine learning becomes more, um, more widely adopted, then might we lead to a situation where that's not the case. Um, my view would be, um, yes, that is a real risk. Um, and can we avoid it? Yes, we can. Um, the analogy I was giving earlier to the gents I was talking to was, we don't let tigers roam the street. Right, That would be a daft thing to do because tigers are dangerous to human beings, particularly when they're hungry. So we, we have methods for, for dealing with that. We have methods that we can use in order to deal with, in my view, uh, we have methods to deal with um, the, the increasing proliferation of the use of machine learning and AI. <clears throat> what I think we have to do is pay attention and make sure that we don't clumsily stumble into a situation where um, machines are in controls of processes that we we don't want them to, to be, and then specifically that they're not able to explain um, explain how they made the decisions that they made. So I'm just going to define, define a couple of terms here before we get into this, um, before we start unpacking the subject further. <clears throat> um, artificial intelligence is a term... Um, has been around actually since the 1950s. I think it was 1956 that it was originally first quoted and has actually be, already been on a real journey before, um, before we got to this point here. Um, 
artificial intelligence um, is, in my view, is an overarching term, and I think we were agreed on this one, really, is an overarching term for machine learning. So machine learning is a subset of what is considered artificial intelligence. What's the difference between the two? Well, um, machine learning is largely a a a matter of mathematical statistics and pattern spotting. So scenarios that we use um, algorithms in in order to identify patterns in data which are there but are perhaps too difficult for humans to observe. So an example of this, a piece of work we did for a sports company was helping them develop a recommendations engine for feeding the next likely video that they were most likely to watch to somebody who was watching a sports application. What we were able to do was apply the machine learning algorithm to the last three years' worth of data, watch what everybody else tended to watch in what sequence, and use that to optimize the recommendation of what was given next. Very similar in the way that you might see a recommendation on Netflix or you may see a recommendation on Amazon. Um, What those uh, algorithms are doing is spotting patterns in data based on previous customer buying patterns that it would be impossible for even a whole team of people to actually spot. So machine learning (coughs) is really um, a much simpler activity. It's really about spotting patterns in the noise. Artificial intelligence, and some of the examples we'll talk through today, is a more sophisticated view of the world, where increasingly the decisions that are being made within the software aren't as easy uh, to identify. So um, given that this has been around for about you know, at least since the 1950s, one of the big questions we've got to ask ourselves is, well, why, why now? Why is, this, why is this topic here in the room? Why has it suddenly become, why has it suddenly become relevant? And I think there's a couple of things I wanted to highlight uh, today as the reasoning for that. The first one is, um, and for those of you who've never, uh, never coded, when you learn to code um, as a programmer, you very explicitly... learn to do this, right? So you write logic. If this condition occurs, then do that. And it's explicit, right? So if we have a piece of software written in this fashion and it it's in charge of an action, which we then have to go back and figure out, well, how did that happen and why did that happen? Um, it might There might be several million lines of code and it might take us a while to do it, but we can unpack the logic, yeah? What's happening increasingly is that we have these what we call black boxes of decision-making where we know what the inputs are, we know what the outputs are, but what happens in the middle, mm, actually that's happening within the neural network. And so obviously we can imagine we get to a situation where if we try to unpack, so why was that trade made? Why was that pricing decision made? Why was that product recommended to that customer who's now telling us it was the wrong product for them? Uh, how did we get to that point? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we can't quite explain that. It's a problem. So that's the first reason. We've made this fundamental shift from making things explicit by the programmers to writing code which has the ability to um, arrive at its own decisions. And the second one is this. So um, cloud computing. Um, 
20 years ago, if you wanted to embrace, even 10 years ago, if you wanted to embrace machine learning within your business, actually the barriers of entry to doing that were quite high. Uh, you probably needed a team from university. Um, you needed... Um, you needed quite a lot of money. Uh, you needed access to a lot of resources in order to make that happen. Amazon, Google, Azure, Microsoft, and others have been are increasingly making these AI algorithms available in such a way that a more uh, a programmer, a more generalist programmer, can uh, utilize those components and can push data sets at them. Um, and wrap them into workflows, as we can see down. There's the example of the Azure one down in the down in the right-hand corner there. Um, so what that's doing is it's making and and it, you know you can rent this stuff from the cloud services. I think for, for you know for almost nothing. So actually, the barriers to entry in terms of skills and resources in order to pick up these algorithms and apply them to different parts of your business, the barriers to getting that done have just come absolutely through the floor. And so we're seeing a proliferation of their application. Um, on a global basis. Um, so, and as you can imagine, um, you know, somebody may have wrapped that process up for you nice and tight so you can engage with it very easily. But if we move from a situation where we've got one hidden layer, as is increasingly the case, We've got multiple hidden layers. The example on the left was picked out from a from an from an image classifier or an image recognizer doing um, recognizing someone's face. Um, very similar to the technology. If any of you've got facial recognition on your phone, be using a very similar approach. Um, and on the right hand side, we've got more sophisticated um, supervised or unsupervised learning algorithms that are learning to play games. Um, I don't know whether you've been following the news recently or over the last couple of years, but. Um, there was the, the machines that learned to play Go, um, the, the really complex board game, and then learned to play them better than anybody else. The really interesting thing about that isn't that they got there. It's that nobody gave the machine the rules. They just told them the objective, right? So please win the game. Here are the rules. Here's what we want you to do. Here's the behavior we want to enforce. And it, it uh, deduced the rules um, for itself. And as, I don't know whether you saw the news in the last couple of weeks, but some of the more recent Go algorithms have come up with entire new approaches and strategies to playing the game that nobody in human history had ever uncovered. And so what we end up with is bigger and bigger and bigger black boxes, right? And the more those black boxes get put in positions of ability to make executive, uh, exec executive decisions or controls over business processes, the more of a problem that explainability becomes. Um, actually, I'm a slide missing. Yeah, I'm a slide missing. So, um, before I hand over to Ilya, the the slide that was um, the slide that was in the middle there was basically saying, um, so what we've got to do as businesses, I think, is start thinking about from a business perspective the factors that affect the degree to which you need to pay attention to where your machine learning algorithms or your AI algorithms are being used within your business so that you can make sure you're kind of on top of them and you know where, where they are and what they're, being, what they're being used for. And those factors are um, as follows. Um, regulation. Uh, if the machine learning 
or the AI component is being used in a scenario where um, it's a regulated business process or it's a regulated entity, um, then, you know, you should be paying attention. Um, the impact to human life uh, is also another important factor. So the more those routines or those algorithms are used in scenarios where there could be a human an impact to human life, that's another trigger point that would suggest you should be paying more attention or greater attention to what and how that particular algorithm, algorithm is being used. Um, and probably the third and final one is is really understanding um, this, the complexity of the scenario. So as the, um, as the black boxes that we're using get bigger and they get deeper and deeper and deeper, then obviously the ability to unwind what they've done gets more and more and more difficult. So you can imagine a perfect scenario of a really complex black box algorithm used in a scenario where there's a very high degree of human impact in a scenario which because of its human impact, has got a higher degree of attention from the regulator. If you've got an AI or machine learning component sat in the middle of that business process, then that's um, probably something you should be paying attention to. So I'm going to stop at that point, hand over to Ilya. Um, hopefully what I've done there is just set the stage a little bit in terms of this idea of AI explainability and safety, which Ilya will talk more about, um, and also just from a business point of view, starting to explore um, you know, the, the relevance and the application of this space. So I'll hand over to Ilya for a, more of an engineering point of view. Thank you very much. Can I grab the uh, clicker as well? Uh, great. So, um, yeah, I, I, so maybe just for a bit of uh, comic relief uh, or just some optimism, I basically agree completely um, with, with what's been said. Uh, the fact that AI is here and so powerful is a great thing. Right, like we have to minimize minimize the downside, which is what we're we're talking about, and explainability is um, probably the most pervasive way to do so. But it is a very good thing if we can, you know, cut compliance costs of of, of big banks uh, by large fractions. Um, you just, you know, you're you're saving tens of billions of dollars a year. Um, so AI is 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 good. You just have to minimize the downsides. Uh, now back to talking about the downsides. Um, yeah, so uh, so my name is Ilya. Um, I'm director of AI at, at Faculty, which is which is which is a company, not a, not a university faculty um, down down the road in excuse me in Marlebone. Um, uh, and we just very quickly, um, our mission is to make AI real um, for organizations. So enhancing products, improving services, um, and saving lives. And making AI real in, in, you know, maybe much more mundane but precise language basically means helping organizations take advantage of AI. Um, and uh, part of that means uh, making sure the AI is safe. Um, so I, I, I and a lot of people in the um, uh, research community use the term AI safety as a, as a uh, kind of more all-encompassing term about kind of making sure that AI is helpful um, to humanity. Um, and so that includes a lot of things, and we'll zoom into explainability in a second, but I just want to set, set the stage at a, at a high level. Um, so here are a couple things that people think about when they, uh, you know, worry about AI. Um, and these are all in the, 
broader AI safety umbrella. Um, there are things like, you know, literally in the news yesterday or two days ago with the Apple credit card, um, so reinforcing biases, um, as, as was mentioned, you know, things like unemployment. Um, interestingly, and we've done a, a, lot of, a lot of cool work in this, is, is deep fakes used for political disinformation um, and, you know, Asimov-style killer robots. Um, so these all sound like they're totally unrelated. Um, uh, I, I think they're, you, you know, you can structure them quite nicely uh, using this framework. Um, so on the vertical axis, we have kind of the autonomy of the of the of the agent or of the AI. Um, so something like this, this human-controlled, is like a classifier that decides um, whether or not somebody should receive a product recommendation um, or uh, or get a particular um, you know price for insurance um, and then more autonomous algorithms uh, would be something like a uh, reinforcement learning based trading strategy that makes some trades and then from the response to those trades uh, learns its own strategy. So you deploy it not knowing what it's going to do. And the example of Go uh, and it and Go, the the AlphaGo algorithm discovering new moves in the game of Go, um, is is an example of that. So they didn't code the the, the moves, um, just like the trading strategy doesn't know the trading strategy in advance. It knows the objective. Um, so that's the axis of of autonomy. And then uh, very useful axis is the intention of the practitioner. Um, so your, you know, data science team is trying to do the right thing with kind of current day tech. They often sit in this corner, but people trying to attack your systems um, might sit in this corner or the political disinformation or, or so on. Um, so anyway, so those, the, the, the icons that we just threw up on the board um, kind of land quite nicely um, in this framework. And certainly there's an implicit like time horizon, which is vertical here, um, Sorry, you guys. Uh, kind of, you know, the podium is uh, uh, killing you. Um, uh, so the, the longer term, um, more autonomous uh, AI risks go up. Um, so these are just some examples. Uh, there are many more um, examples. Uh, some some of these are, are kind of technical problems, like um, compromising privacy in algorithms. Uh, or unsafe reinforcement learning. Um, some of these are just policy problems, uh, like uh, you know unemployment or inequality, um, or even things today that like are I think are really hindering um, regulation from moving in the right direction. Is just it's hard to make general and precise regulation. So precise that you know somebody can write some code on the back of, uh, but general enough to 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 cover cover all bases. Um, so yeah, so so the space of AI safety is um, is big and uh, you know one of probably the most important problems of our time, uh, like you know that and climate change or something. Um, uh, but today we'll just zoom into this problem of explainability. Um, so uh, you know the, the fact that these algorithms, the most powerful algorithms that that you can build, are the least interpretable. Um, and this is not this is not um, this is not a fact of AI. This is a fact of I, right? Like you, intelligence. You, I make decisions all the time, and I have no idea why I made them. 
um, and uh, and I can't really control that either. Um, so I, th- th- you know, this isn't what I'm going to talk about today. But just to um, uh, not confuse us into thinking this is just AI, um, you know, I, I make hiring decisions at faculty all the time, um, and there's no way for me to change the fact that um, my experiences in life uh, have been biased by historical data. Um, so that is just that's just clearly true. When I make a hiring decision, I might say. Well, they'd be a bad cultural fit, um, but like, who knows what that that means? I don't really know what that means. I have some like weird, uh, effective model of the world in my head, but I, I can't really go into my own black box um, and explain uh, why I make decisions. So the optimist would say, AI and explainability means that we can get to a point where we understand decisions better than when humans humans make them. Um, so that is a that that's a big deal because humans are very biased. Um, but anyway, I'm going to talk about explainability. Um, so, whoops. Um, so, uh, explainability. Interestingly, actually, maybe I'll just digress a little bit. Um, it seems like I'm pointing out one little bullet on a giant list of a lot of bullets. Um, but actually, explainability is kind of pervasive everywhere. So, if you want to make reinforcement learning safe, so some words that maybe you don't don't know what they mean, um, being able to explain your reinforcement learning agent helps you there. So AI safety is, is or sorry, explainability is, is, is massive. It's probably the most all-pervasive um, uh, safety, safety need. Um, and from a business perspective, there's kind of three, um, three main buckets of, uh, of uh, how explainability can be, can be really useful. Um, so there's the kind of obvious compliance perspective. Uh, so, I mean, GDPR literally says in it um, that you need to be able to explain decisions. So if you want to stand up to um, what is currently a fairly tepid regulatory uh, environment on AI, but will certainly tighten up, um, you need to be able to explain decisions. If you're running, making automated decisions in your business, um, uh, there's a there's a compliance um compliance requirement, but even more so, you probably want to have a, you know, model registry that just stores and freezes all models in a business, um, like AI-based models, and, and has a attached ex- explanation for how every single model works, kind of just as a governance framework. Um, but that's not even the biggest. My guess is the biggest upside to explainability is, uh, is operational. Um, so, We've seen this a number of times. I always thought this was the big, the big thing, and then secretly, as a technical person and you know, looking after our, our data science team, I knew that this is a big deal. So let me maybe just explain this one. Um, so if you are a technical person, a data scientist developing models, it is really useful to be able to explain the models because you create a model and then you explain it. And you're like, ooh, uh, I wonder why it did that. Uh, that's probably not right. Um, now I can go back and update my model. So having explainability in your model development loop uh, allows you to just build way better models. Um, so these are the two that I always thought were like obvious applications for explainability. Um, but I actually think this is the biggest. Um, and the reason is um, the reason is basically if uh, well I'll just give you an example of uh, so we've done uh, plenty of work with uh, uh, trading desks um, who are very active users of machine learning and uh, you know built some some really sophisticated models that tell you for example how commodities are moving around the world like literally you know where ships are gonna end up um and these algorithms will tell a trader some result like you know that this 
amount of commodity X is moving to location Y with probability Z. Um, and a, the, a trader will just say, okay, um, that's a number, uh, 0.73. Uh, uh, like, what do you do? What do you do with that? Um, you know, the equivalent is, is me kind of saying, I've got a hypothesis. This commodity is going to go up in price. Um, like, everyone's first question would be, why? Uh, before anyone would make a decision based on that. And if my explanation of why I think that's true was really good, you might run over and, and, and make some trades. But if I just say make a statement, you're not going to act on it. So having this model that says where things are moving and an explanation for why those predictions are being made uh, just allows the traders to, to, um, to trust the prediction and, and to make better decisions. And sometimes the model will be wrong. And it'll say, I think this is going to happen because here's the reason. And the trader will be like, that reason is stupid. I'm not going to act on that this time. Um, so that makes a, it makes a huge difference. So operationally, just having the context of why the explanation was made so you could disagree with it at the right time or act accordingly and having trust in it means that these models will, um, whether or not they're right, will get the traction that they need to make a difference in an organization. Anyway, so explainability, there's tons of reasons why it's, uh, why it's really useful. Um, uh, okay, so why doesn't everyone uh, just use explainability on their models and then be done with it and we don't need to be here talking about it? Um, uh, well, the answer, uh, my claim, at least, uh, uh, and this is, I don't think that many people um, make this statement or hold this view, but I think that's because people don't really know what they're talking about. Um, uh, explainability is hard to do well. Uh, so I am going to spend the next probably five minutes um, getting, just giving some precise, very technical examples. Um, it would be helpful if you guys uh, like shouted or gave me, gave me some social cues if you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, but I think it's just useful. It's useful to get precise. Um, so like, give, give me a chance. Um, but I'm going to start with just a disclaimer that the by far the most common approaches to explainability, I'm just not going to talk about uh, because they're they're just they're just based on co completely erroneous assumptions. Like, uh, I, if you've heard anything about this space, um, probably the most popular algorithm is called Lime. Um, it's uh, I think something like a, mo a linear interpolation model agnostic explainability or something. Um, and like everyone, it's it's the most popular technique for explainability. Um, and the, the reason is it makes two assumptions, linearity, so that your model is linear, and independence of the different variables that go into your model. And like AI, what it does for a living is it handles situations where you have nonlinearities and correlations between features. So like when these assumptions are true, you should be doing a linear regression in Excel, not using AI. So this kind of explainability is just, well, anyway, I said I wasn't going to talk about it. Um, so I'm going to talk about my baseline is going to be the best thing an organization can do right now. Imagine they like read all the literature and implemented the best possible thing, and you'll still see that there are um, that you have to do more. Um, so, uh, so I'll use a, an example throughout. So this is um, this is my example. You're trying to predict uh, someone's income. Um, I use this example because there is a uh, like an open standard census data set. Um, uh, kind of from 1996 U.S., and you're trying to predict whether or not someone uh, makes above or below $50,000 a year. Um, and this is kind of classic problem. It's very representative of a credit risk style, style problem. Um, great. 
Uh, so we trained a model that 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 tries to predict this. The model that we trained, I'm not even going to talk about it, but it's kind of a multi multi layer neural network model. It gets very good performance, um, but I'm just going to talk about the the explanation um, of it. So this is what um, the kind of best in out in the open explanation for this model looks like: um, uh, a bunch of bars. Um, uh, so this is a this is a bar chart where the the kind of the order doesn't matter it's just decreasing but these are the features that go into the model so the model gets to know your marital status your education your rela the relationship uh, status your occupation your amount of capital gains your hours per week your age your sex etc um, and then it predicts how much money you're going to make and here's the explanation so the model is really using marital status that's the most important feature that it's using and then it's using your education so these things are Somewhat surprising. Maybe education is not as surprising. Um, uh, you could you could make tell all sorts of stories here. Let me just give you a little bit more context on this explanation. So these bars sum up to the model's accuracy. Actually, they sum up to the model's accuracy above random guessing. Um, so if you sum, that's three three and a half percentage points come from marital status. That means you get three and a half percentage points of your accuracy from knowing the person's marital status. So these these explanations, even though they just look like a bar chart, they're like really, really precise um, and kind of uh, well, just can can be used. Um, so this is the state of the art explanation you could get um, using these things called standard, well, called Shapley values, which are based on cooperative game theory. They satisfy a set of um, not objectionable axioms. So you have a full mathematical framework here. Let's not worry about it. Um, just just trust me that this is the right way to do it. Well, you'll, you'll see I'm about to tear it apart, but it's the right place to start. Um, does this make sense? Does this bar chart make sense as, a, as an explanation for a model? Yeah. Like everything I'm about to say, yeah, go ahead. To be, oh, as you're, you're surprised by that number. I agree with that, but perfect, perfect. Yeah, so let me, yeah, so let me, let me explain, let me explain that point. So if I sum all these, I get, I get, let's just say I get 10 to 20 percentage points. So like, you know, exactly. So a random guess um, isn't quite 50-50 because the data set, you know, $50,000 $50, a year isn't the median income. Um, so a random guess might give you 60% accuracy. And then you get about 20 percentage points on top of that. So that gives you to 80% 80, 80 accuracy. So this model is an 80% accurate model, which is significantly better than random guessing. Um, and and this, these bars are the attribution of, of, of where that information comes from. So at least that makes sense, right? Uh, maybe you're surprised that marital status is so high. Um, but the, 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 the fact that I'm showing a bar chart is makes sense, right? Definitely let me know if not, cause I'm going to show like three more. Uh, okay. Um, uh, so this is an explanation of a model overall and explainability allows you to do much more that I'm not going to get into, like explain why an individual was predicted a particular way. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that. This is just the model overall. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. So uh, th this approach to explainability, which my claim is like the right starting point, is model agnostic in the sense of um, it uses this cooperative game theory technique, um, uh, which um, 
which was designed to say uh, if a bunch of people are working together to play games and you get a certain score at the end of your game, how much do I pay out each person? Um, so that's where it comes from. So this, this method just takes the output of the model and says how much of that output was driven by its inputs. So you can run this on any model type, like a linear regression or a statistical model or a rules-based model or a human. So you could just keep track of the information I know and the decisions, like my hiring example, um, and the decisions I make, and you could just create this bar chart for, like, for Ilya's hiring decisions. Um, so this works on anything, um, which is really important because people use all sorts of different stuff and you want a common language across that. Um, so the answer is sa same, same thing for any of those cases. Cool. So uh, there's a couple of things that are surprising, as we've already noticed. Uh, so let me let me just point out a few. What the first one is is um, it, it gets at underneath underneath the point about why is marital status so important. So first, one of the things that this method does for you is it makes sure that um, there's a symmetry property. So two features that essentially have the same information get the same value in their explanation. And if you look at relationship and marital status, those two features are almost the same. So your marital status answers the question of what relationship you're in. Um, so marital status in, in, in includes things like, you know, uh, divorced and never married and so on, which is not quite the same as relationship, but they're very similar features. So why are, why are the two bars different sizes? So that's some weird thing that the model is doing, even though essentially the same information is in there. That's kind of a technical point. There are a couple other more intuitive but very important points here, like... Doesn't education, the number of hours you work per week, uh, sex and work class, don't these things correlate quite strongly? So wh why are the, you know, why are they, the bars totally different sizes? And if you're trying to answer the question, is my model sexist? Um, and, you know, sex is a fairly unimportant feature. Of course, this isn't a precise statement about your model being biased. Um, you want to be careful about these things. Same with, same with racists, right? There's like... There's no bar down there on race. Um, uh, but basically, this standard explanation uh, is just, is just there, there's, some, there's some technical reason. It's just not getting the correlations in the data correct. Um, so here is a new, uh, uh, a new explanation that, that solves that technical problem. So I can just precisely write down the mathematical problem that that, that, that um, uh, technique has. I won't talk about it right now. Um, here's an improved version. So this is some, some actually, I mean, so this is some research that faculty has done uh, um, that solves this problem. Uh, and uh, the first thing you see is, um, so sorry, the, the, getting the correlations right are these gray bars. So now your explanation has changed. Um, it's not changed a tremendous amount, but for example, marital status went way down, and now marital status and relationship are about the same. That's what you'd expect. Those features are the same. Um, so you, you would expect their explanation to be the same unless the model is doing something, something stupid. Um, so now that you have the, now that you have an explanation that gets the correlations, right? You, uh, you now know that no, my model isn't doing something stupid. It, uh, the difference is in how the, the explanation was wrong. Um, so that gets, that gets this, you know, shouldn't these two features be the same, right? Um, it also changes based on the correlation structure. So the importance of education has now gone down, um, and uh, the importance of hours per week has now gone down with a couple other things like age, sex, work class going up, taking the place of, of those features. And the, the reason is basically um, uh, what types of jobs you have at different ages 
are influenced and how much you work are influenced by by sex um, and by work class, of course, um, and, and 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 age. Well, sorry, education impacts work class and so on. So it just moves the explanation to spread out across the important features based on the correlations rather than just um, the uh, just the mathematical structure of the of the function. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is just a different explanation. So this is an explanation. No, it's a good question, and it's no, it's a great question. Thank you. Uh, this is, you know, it's it's hard to make these things. No, no. I well, I could give you a quick version. So the the data hasn't changed, and the model hasn't changed. Uh, the, so the model and these gray bars they still add up to the same thing, the accuracy of the model. But the this standard explanation technique did something wrong that I didn't tell you about. And that's, that's why you, you don't fully understand um, the difference. Uh, now, with the gray bars, you do that thing that I haven't explained. You do it correctly. Um, and the explanation has changed. The model and the data have not changed. The correlations are the same. We've just captured the correlations correctly in the model's explanation. Just a question. So you've got your explanation. Do you then apply another model to that explanation in order to adjust these bars? Or are you adjusting them manually according to some other heuristic or norm that you have yeah. said, yeah. okay, that goes up, that goes down. Yeah, no, it's a great, great question. Yeah, yeah. So the, the model that's predicting whether what income somebody will make is a fixed model that imagine you're, imagine it's just a credit, credit scoring model that's used in a, in an organization. Um, then we go do these calculations. There, there, there are some precise mathematical calculations based on the data and the model. Um, so there's no heuristics here. This is all um, formal statistical um, uh, calculations that give you these explanations, which you can be very precise about. So there's no heuristics at all. Um, so, th but that's not even the important thing. The 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 thing that I really like. So now, I'm sorry, this is the worst possible time to ask you to do this, but now is the time to uh, pay attention the most. Um, so we've completely missed. So now we got the correlations right. Right, so we did this, unfortunately, the state-of-the-art thing, which is wrong, um, and then we then we improved it to get the correlations right. But actually, with a thing like this, you, you, there's some causation here. Um, so people often say correlation is not equal to causation, and indeed, um, you know, things like age, sex, race, native country, um, those are attributes that are determined at birth, essentially. You know, age comes from your date of birth, um, and those things impact your marital status, you know, relationships, education, and so on. And certainly your marital status does not impact your race, right? Uh, so, so incorporating causality matters for an explanation because if you want to say, well, my model isn't racist, um, uh, okay, that's formally true when you look at the correlations, um, but, uh, but, but is this feature uh, causing some of these features that your model is using? Um, and if you incorporate causality, uh, which requires a whole new paradigm of explainability, uh, you get totally different explanations. So you get marital status and, rela and relationships drop in importance tremendously. Yes? Well, they probably didn't do a number of things upstream of this. Um, but if you, if you incorporate causality, which, which upweights these these, these kind of originating, like, origin features, like age, sex, 
race. I mean, look at look at I mean, obviously sex has blown up uh, as has age and race um, because these things actually impact these downstream features. So this this getting the core the the causation right. Like, just look how different that explanation is from the from the coral. And the coral is literally the best thing an organization could do um, uh, uh, today. Um, so there's a whole, this, like, causal explanations. So we published a paper on this uh, in October. Um, there's a really kind of clean mathematical framework here. But the important thing is, um, like, if you're trying to explain a model, the coral and the, and the turquoise... Um, like a just totally different explanations. Um, so, uh, so indeed, like, you know, this causation question, these causal features have now gone up in importance, um, and marital status has gone down. Um, and the, just the main message is getting the explanation right makes a big difference. So if somebody says, I have an explanation for my model, you know, the, your response should not be cool. We're done. Um, it should be, yeah, what, how did you do that explanation? Um, did you do it right? Um, and uh, like a really important thing here is um, the story here, like in terms of determining, in terms of determining how much money somebody's going to make in 1996 in the U.S. in the census data, the most important feature, the thing that gives you the most information when you actually um, incorporate the correlations and the causation in the data is sex. It's more important than, well, than everything else. Uh, and when we started, you know, this like erroneous marital status, uh, and you could like tell yourself some narrative, uh, like, you know, married people, um, work harder because I don't, I don't want to, ma- I'm married. Um, uh, uh, anyway, um, but like, this is a qualitatively different conclusion, right? Um, yeah, just 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 see these results. Walk out. <laughs> well, I've had enough. Uh, no worries. Um, so 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 getting these explanations right really matters. Um, so uh, there's uh, there's a couple other. Um, uh, I'll just I'll just wrap up. There's a couple other uh, big problems that need to be solved in explainability. Like the, these calculations actually take a really long time because you have to get every single correlation right, um, and you know. There are models that have really complicated features, inputs, and so you want an interpretable explanation even in those cases. Um, but basically, these things have um, very recently uh, been solved. So explainability can be done well now, um, but, it's, but it's, certainly, it's certainly nuanced. Um, so just to conclude, uh, th- um, a, uh, an advisor, uh, one of faculty's advisors is Stuart Russell. He's kind of the, the four... Uh, forefather of AI safety, and this is kind of one of his favorite uh, uh, sayings: um, "Engineers don't uh, don't distinguish between bridges and bridges that don't fall down." Um, and so, that, so you know, that should be the same with AI. Um, so we we think making AI real means means making AI safe. Thank you for listening. You can find out more information about our talks and events at www.libf.ac.uk/events. Want to get involved? Contact us at podcast at libf.ac.uk.